Hello and welcome to Knitcast. I'm your host, Marie Urshard. Well, in my third interview at the Knitting and Stitching Show, I met up with Freddie Robbins. Freddie is many things, an artist, designer, teacher and knitted bride. She's also the co-curator of the Craft Council's Knit Two Together exhibition, which was on display at the show. Well, I actually came on board in about the August and the show had had a very short development time actually um, and it actually opened in the February so it was just over I don't know seven or eight months but the show was a little bit underway when I when I came on board with the Craft Council. What's the main concept behind the exhibition? Well what the Craft Council wanted to do was um, obviously hold a knitting exhibition they hadn't had one for about 20 years they had obviously seen that knitting was enjoying a renaissance and they wanted to come in on that what I was particularly interested in doing was putting together a show that brought together people that use knitting to make non-functional objects everyone knows that knitting is used to make sweaters so I wanted to avoid the functional and have an exhibition of non-functional pieces first collection that we're in front of well to me it just looks like a huge woolly cushion really with uh, lots of fleecy bits can you tell me more about this one this is by a Japanese artist called Takahiko Sanada um, he's been working with textile techniques for a long time he does woven works crocheted works knitted works he makes very very large scale works uh, these are actually a much smaller collection of freestanding sculptures and each piece is made from the fleece of one sheep and what you've got with them is you've got the fleece stuffed inside a knitted structure so what's usually on the outside has then gone onto the inside to make these forms. We're now in front of two works by Ruth Lee called Spirit Dresses. Ruth Lee is a well-known British knitter. She's more, probably more better known for doing knitwear but uh, for this exhibition she's made two paper and wire knitted dresses which were made on a domestic knitting machine. They're suspended in the air floating quite freely and they have a very strong shadow effect as well. We've now moved over to look at some work by Marie-Rose Lortet, who's from France. This is my favourite work in the exhibition. Uh, Marie-Rose Lortet uh, works as an outsider artist in France. Um, she's also the oldest exhibitor in the show. I really enjoyed the fact that with this exhibition we had a really broad range of ages and experiences. As an outsider artist, she's she self-taught. And these pieces are made over a, quite a broad period of time. She picks up the needles, works, puts them down again, picks them up again. And she makes quite extraordinary figurative works. There's a large abstracted face here and then there's a tiny little uh, coat for a migrating bird. They're really, really uh, exquisite works. And this is the first time she's shown in the UK. She's very, very well known in France, but in the UK, unknown. So I was really, really excited to get her over to the UK. I'd like to talk a bit more about the jacket for a migrating bird. I was looking at this earlier and it really is extraordinary. It's so fine. It's knitted on the tiniest, tiniest needles. Really exquisite. And it must be just about mm, six inches high. And it's also very colourful as well, as is the rest of her work. Yeah, her work is, is a very patchwork uh, approach. She picks up all different kinds of yarns and puts them in when and where she feels. And she kind of makes up her own rules as she goes along. She doesn't just have the beginning, the middle and the end. She doesn't knit in straight rows. She picks up and knits off the side and then puts it down and comes back to it and knits off in another direction. It's fantastic work. Well, this next work, it's, uh, well, it pretty much looks like a knitted balaclava with the sort of top half of a, a suit jacket, really, all knitted. 
This is a work of Andy Dare's Hope, and I found this work just before we put together the final list of exhibitors for the show. He's a fine artist who works um, in America, in San Francisco. Uh, he doesn't always work in knitting, but he has done quite a, a lot of work with the technique. He, he uh, comes from a family who knitted. In fact, his father used to knit him a lot of things. And these pieces are called Everybody's Somebody's Terrorist, and they are the most... Uh, the work with the strongest political uh, message in the exhibition and they they talk about the fact that anyone can can be someone else's kind of biggest fear it just depends where you're coming from and these two pieces represent the city suit but he's done other pieces which represent uh, tourists which represent uh, people religious people that represent all kinds of different walks of life well, the next exhibit that we're from has actually been featured in a lot of the articles written about the uh, Craft Council exhibition, and it's basically it's a knitted living room with a, a chair that's covered in looks like sort of Aran knitted work with cables, and we've got there's also a fan covered, a telephone, a cup and saucer with some sort of frothy topping, and even a Hoover and a television set. This is the work of Janet Morton, who's a Canadian artist. Here she's taken old Aran sweaters and Aran wool, reconstructed it and re-knitted it to form this knitted living room. And it talks about uh, the obsessive nature of knitting and the cosiness of knitting. It, it takes that to a real extreme. And obviously the knitted teacup with the knitted tea in it, fantastic. It's, it's been the most popular piece. And because it's a because it's all creams and it's been shown in a black background, it's a very, very strong graphic image and has been picked up a lot by the press. Well, this next piece is a sort of a knitted picnic by Donna Wilson with her various animal creations. It's incredibly colourful and very fun. And I understand that Donna is one of your students as well, so you must be especially proud of her work. Yes, Donna studied under me at the Royal College of Art. Um, her work is fantastic. I love it. She's done really, really well and really pushed her knitted creations to the limit. This piece is called Picknit, which is obviously a witty play on the picnic. And it has her trademark strange and wonderful creatures in this, in this picnic setting, which is all machine knitted and then hand constructed. I know we've got, uh, there's a fox sat in the tree with a very big tail. He's actually my favourite. <laughs> and there's also, there's also a very strange sort of three-headed or triplet sort of being there sat on a big red cushion as well as knitted food as well including the knitted cakes. I think it's a fantastic magical world but lots of people commented that they find it very sinister because of the people with multiple limbs and multiple heads but to me it kind of speaks of a better world. <laughs> well I, I think I like them, I think they're quite cute yeah, and cuddly really rather friendly. than sinister. Oh and of course right by this is <laughs> your work. I like the title of this work because it's called How to Make a Piece of Work When You're Too Tired to Make Decisions. And I know there's quite a, quite a backstory to this. Yeah, this piece of work has a long story to it. I, um, I quite recently had a, uh, had a baby and this piece was made when I went on residency to Berlin. I'd set up the residency before I had my daughter. And as the time for me to go to Berlin drew closer and closer, I realised there wasn't a hope in hell of me managing to make something. I just was in no fit state mentally to take that on board. And so I developed a method of making work where I wrote instructions on the size of a dice and threw the dice, and that told me what to do. And so in the short amounts of time I had, I could go to the studio, throw the instruction dice ten times, and make an abstract piece of knitting. And then I pinned them along the studio wall to make these abstract forms, which speak as... A, as much about the spaces in between the forms as the forms themselves. This is a machine knitted piece. Most of my work is machine knitted. When I do hand knitted pieces, I actually get someone else to knit for me because I'm just too slow and life's too short. So this is a machine knitted piece.
Well, I think we're all used to seeing the various adverts that appear in some magazines and in the back ends of newspapers talking about various chat lines that people can phone up. But this is a real sort of a, a niche take on it with niche fantasies, 10p, naughty 40s, older ladies, knit live from home, cheap knit chat, my favourite, Welsh guys, quick finger category, uh, the UK's busiest service. Uh, tell us more about this. This is the work of Kelly Jenkins. Kelly Jenkins is a Welsh artist and she recently graduated from the Royal College of Art where I met her. These pieces are knitted on an industrial Morat knitting machine which is a jack-on machine which is used to knit fine jersey fabric which might be used for t-shirts. And What I love here is she's playing off the the image of knitting against the image of the sex industry, she's playing off that benign passive image knitting has with the dirty seedy image of the calling card that you find in uh, telephone boxes. And she's also got a larger piece called Knit and Centred. Turn your partner on with 22 new and uncensored knitting positions. <laughs> She's been fantastically successful with these pieces. She's sold them into fine art collections and has, has had them in many other galleries. It's been a really, really strong collection of work for her. Well, this next piece is by uh, Celia Pym, Six Notes Books from Japan. This work was done on a seven-month tour of Japan. She got a bursary when she left college. She was studying in America, and she took a trip to Japan. And what she did was she knitted her way around Japan. Everywhere she went, she bought blue yarn because... To her, blue was the colour for Japan. She saw it in the sky everywhere she went and also the indigo dyeing that's so big in Japan. And so she knitted in the blue yarn and then when the blue yarn ran out, she moved to another town, bought blue yarn and carried on. And it was her constant companion and it also enabled her to get into conversations with people, but it also kind of protected her in the way that when you travel alone, you're very, very vulnerable. And at night, she'd sit and draw her knitting. It was a completely obsessive thing that took her over and obviously as she was moving around Japan the piece grew and grew and grew and so she was ended up carrying this very very large roll of knitting and it looks just as fantastic rolled up as it does unrolled. So Freddie how did you get into textile arts in the first place? My mother's best friend Pam was a great needlewoman and she's the reason I first got into textiles. She used to make us fantastic things. Um, we'd go to shops, see things we wanted, she'd go home and run them up for us. So it was really her inspiration that made me take up textiles and, and knitting. And when did you actually lead to a sort of design? Was that just part of when, when you were studying? When I was studying, I studied uh, a degree at Middlesex University and then an MA at the Royal College of Art. I always thought I would be a knitwear designer. I was very, very interested in fashion. But after working a little in the industry when I left, I realised that my interest in fashion was much more from a consumption point of view rather than a designing point of view. And I was much more interested in the meaning of the work and getting a concept and idea across than in fulfilling what was desired or required by the market. So it really led me to making gallery non-functional pieces. But thinking of your actual work, your gallery pieces, I think I can honestly say that obviously you've, you're quite interested in subverting the ideas that some people might have about knitting mm -hmm. as being safe and mm -hmm. traditional and conventional. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've always battled with knitting as a, as a medium because of the views people have. And then in the end, I decided that that was something that I could really use to my strength, use people's preconceptions um, and w work with that and subvert it. And I'm very big on subversion anyway. It really suits my personality. Well, let's talk a bit more about some of your pieces because I'd like to talk about a certain series of tea cosies mm -hmm. that you did, which look like little houses. Could you mm -hmm. tell me more about those? Yeah, that series is called Knitted Homes of Crime and they are, as you said, they're knitted decoses and they represent the homes of female killers or the houses where female killers committed their crimes. 
and I was very interested in uh, how how women are portrayed when they commit a crime. Women are always seen as doubly deviant because they've committed a heinous crime and they've gone against their nature. It, to society it seems much worse than a man committing a crime. And I, and I was playing that off against knitting and what knitting is usually used for. It's usually used to make something kind of cosy and comforting, some, something to do with nurturing. And here I was using it to represent the homes of these supposedly doubly deviant women. Um, and as I was investigating the stories more, I, I discovered fantastic things about how poison is a weapon that most women use. So again, they're using their nurturing, but to, to evil ends. And in most of these cases, the women have poisoned the person they were killing. And you've also done pieces, I think, which include things like sweaters, which don't seem to have any sort of visible arms. They, look, mm -hmm. they, they seem a bit more like uh, straight jackets, really, of knitting. Yeah, I've produced a whole series of sweaters called Odd Sweaters and they were preceded by a collection of odd gloves and they talk about the, the supposedly normal body, the conventional body um, and so I'm exploring issues about what that might be, why we're meant to look a certain way, what, what is this with kind of trying to make people perfect and, and standardisation. And again, back to this idea that knitting is something that you do and it's seen as being something useful and here I'm making things which are inherently useless. In fact, I even have one comment from someone saying, it's such a shame no one can wear them. <laughs> and it was, yeah, that's the point. So I really, really enjoy that. Yeah, some people just don't get it, really. Yeah. You also did a piece of work which was based on St. Sebastian, which was a uh, knitted body pierced with knitting needles. The, that piece is entitled Craft Kills, and it was made in 2002 for a solo exhibition I was having. That piece is uh, me, a self-portrait of me, and as you were saying, it is based on the images of St. Sebastian, and who is always pierced with arrows, and here I was pierced with needles. And it has, on the front of the piece, it has the slogan, Craft Kills. And what I was really thinking about here was how again how craft is seen and particularly knitting as a very benign safe passive activity and how would it be if it was actually a dangerous activity it was something we weren't allowed to do it was banned and then uh, then knitting was banned from when you were flying you can't you couldn't fly and knit you couldn't carry your knitting needles so knitting is seen as a dangerous activity when you're doing something else so that uh, that was what that piece was all about now i want to talk more really about the images of knitting you know, we're told now oh, knitting is trendy, it's a new yoga, more and more people are doing it, celebrities are doing it. I mean, have you seen any change in attitudes yourself towards knitting or do people still think, oh, it's a cosy thing? I think the changes I've seen has been more about younger people becoming interested in knitting. And so I suppose from them, it, it's discovering something that they maybe didn't even know existed. I think in the past, when I, when I was young, um, it was something that an older relative would teach you and I think that is dying out now and, in, and in many people may harp on and say how sad that is and in some ways it's sad but it won't, won't ever go away and I, I think instead what will happen it will be a skill that people go and learn in a professional way and in that way the image will completely change it won't be associated with your grandmother. I think that is a positive thing to think about rather than thinking oh no it's dreadful the skills dying out because there are lots and lots of young people at the Knitting and Stitching show today they want to make something for themselves create something unique create something with their own hands make their own statement and I think that's really really exciting. 
There are other sort of connotations towards knitting as well. Just thinking of the feminist movement. And I know when I was young, I, my mother loved to sew and loved to knit. I just didn't want to do it. I sort mm -hmm. of rebelled against that because I saw it as being something domestic, which mm -hmm. is such a shame looking mm -hmm. back now. But there was that attitude about, wasn't mm -hmm. there? No, definitely. I mean, my mother grew up in the war, so the last thing she wanted to do was knit and sew because she was forced to do that during the war. So then, you know, when the war was over, she wanted to be a modern woman and go out and buy clothes. She didn't want to sit at home and make them. So I, I agree, but I think that whole thing, will, again, will, will change because it isn't so associated with the domestic. You don't... People don't sew because they have to now. People sew because they want to. It's much cheaper to go out and buy clothes. So I think that whole attitude will, will change. Now, something else that's been in the news recently is your knitted wedding. Well, the knitting wedding came about in a rather strange way. I uh, co-curated an exhibition at the Pump House Gallery uh, called Ceremony, which looked at rites of passage and the craft object and making and how that is associated with the rites of passage. And I invited Rachel Matthews and Castoff to take up residency in the gallery for two weeks. And they decided that they wanted to explore the idea of the wedding, the wedding being not the biggest rite of passage, but the rite of passage most people give the most effort to or they put the most money into. They invited me to be their bride. And uh, how could I say no? And so it was quite an interesting kind of turn on its head because usually the, the bride would choose her wedding planner, but here the wedding planner chose her bride and groom. And so we had the most amazing day on Sunday. Many months ago, Rachel had sent out wedding invitations which had patterns within them so that people could knit those objects and send them for the wedding. There were flowers and bows for the dress, there were doves and candles and, of course, sandwiches. But many, many people knitted other things and sent them to the gallery. And so there was a whole host of object, knitted objects, including the knitted wedding dress, knitted wedding cake, knitted knife, knitted champagne, knitted champagne goblet. Everything you ever have at a wedding was knitted. I threw my knitted bouquet. We had knitted pom-poms and confetti thrown at us. One of my concerns was, once the confetti had been thrown, was there someone picking it up? Yeah, there were lots of children there, and they were very, very easily uh, coerced into picking up the pom-poms. Yeah, it was perfect, a perfect solution. Now, as you say, everything was knitted, including your wedding dress. Can you describe that for our listeners? Well, the way the knitting dress was uh, constructed was that people were invited to knit white or cream squares, and then they were constructed into a dress. So the dress just grew as more and more squares arrived. And then during the ceremony, Annie Doy, who works with Rachel Matthews, was stitching more squares onto the end of it. So the train was just growing longer and longer? Yeah, the train grew longer and longer and longer. Now, you are also a tutor at the Royal College of Art, mm -hmm. and we've already talked about one of your uh, former students, Donna Wilson. Have you seen changes just in the nature of textiles, in the nature of the work that your students are producing over the years? Yes, I think over the years I've been there, the students are taking a much, much broader approach to the application of their textiles, a much more conceptual approach, and much looking at the much, much bigger picture, thinking about how textiles can not only be used inside architectural structures and in a decorative way, but how uh, textiles can actually form the architecture of buildings, for example. I think they're becoming much more proactive in the, in the way they work. So what's next for you? I, I know you've launched your website. You can look at that at www.freddyrobbins.com and I have got a very big exhibition in Norway at the end of 2007. So actually what I'm going to do now really is work towards that, develop new works, try to develop new ways of working as well since I've had my daughter, my time is very, very curtailed and chopped up and I really need to develop new working methods. 
My thoughts are still very much to do with the unconventional issues to do with normality and standardisation and I'm still very, very interested in issues to do with women that kill and, as I said, particularly since I've had my daughter, issues to do with women who kill or have been accused of killing their children. I've been following with interest the cases recently where women have been sent to prison for killing their babies and actually have been caught death. So that's another thing that, has, that I'm interested in exploring. Freddie Robbins. And you can see Knit Two Together Concepts in Knitting at the Oriel Davis Gallery in Newtown, Powys in Wales. It's on show there from December the 10th until the 18th of February 2006. You'll find links to that and Freddie's site on the Knitcast blog at www.knitcast.com. You can reach me by emailing feedback at knitcast.com. I love getting your emails. Here are just a, a sampling of some that I've had this week. I've had two emails from uh, Stockholm in Sweden. The first one is from Joanne, and she'd love to hear Alice and Jade Starmore on the show, and also Noro designer Cornelia Tuttle Hamilton. Apologies if I mispronounced her name. But Cornelia is an American designer, but of course lives in Sweden. Now, the second email from Stockholm is from Katarina. And she'd love to hear Sarah Dallas and Kim Hargreaves. There's someone else who'd love to hear Kim Hargreaves on the show. Didn't leave their name, but calls themselves the Visual Goddess, which is a great name. She'd like to hear Kim as well. Thanks for those suggestions. I'll certainly see what I can do and see if we can get those designers on the programme. But upcoming guests who are going to be on the programme are knitting bag designer Jordana Page, now, I'll be talking to Jordana on Tuesday the 13th of December, so if you've got a question for her, please send it in before Tuesday the 13th. And Annie Modesit fans, Annie will be on the show uh, early next year. I'll be talking to her in early January, so get your questions in now if you want to ask Annie a question. Back to our emails. Now, we also get emails from non-knitters occasionally. Matt got in touch after hearing about Knitcast on the This Week in Tech podcast. He's seen a pattern by Sean of Sean's Soapbox, which is for making mittens, which utilise the heat from your iPod. So they've got a pocket in them for your, your iPod, and they use the heat from the iPod to keep your hands warm. Again, go to knitcast.com for the link for that pattern. And please keep sending me in your suggestions and emails. I love reading them. I can't always respond to them, or at least respond as quickly as I'd like, but please keep sending them in. On the last two shows, I've been talking about other knitting podcasts. I've got two more to tell you about uh, this show. The first one is by spinner, knitter and alpaca owner Caroline Morse. She's begun the Fibercast, which is a fibre arts podcast, and she's now on episode two. Again, link on the Knitcast blog, go along and uh, listen to her. And the second podcast is a sort of magical mystery tour of a podcast in that it's produced by Daniela, who lives in Germany, but she's from the Czech Republic. And she's a knitting designer and basically dictates a knitting pattern. So you listen to her podcast and knit away. Now, the current edition, which I think is episode four, is for a knitted necklace. And in a future podcast, you'll be able to knit some lacy socks. Now, I like to think of all of the sort of knitting and fibre-related podcasts as a sort of virtual radio station. And in radio... What we do when we, we trail ahead to other programmes, which means we promote other programmes by talking about what's coming up on them. 
And I can tell you that on Brenda's podcast, Cast On, which will be going online on Friday, you can hear from The Knitting Curmudgeon. The Knitting Curmudgeon will be on reading an essay. So if you've ever wondered what she sounds like, go on to thecaston.com on Friday and download that. Someone else who may make it into our Friday's edition of uh, Cast On is Franklin from the Panopticon. He may be on there talking about knitting an opera. So go online and fill up your computer or your MP3 player with yarn-related podcasts. I'm Maria Shard, and that was Knitcast. Thanks for listening.